0: Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Hello and welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast. Today's guest, our friend, Aaron Guyette. So Aaron, we'll turn it over to you. Uh, Give the listeners a little background on yourself, please, sir.
1: Yeah, what's up? I I can never do this in an elevator pitch, right? I can never make it short because I plan on making it short and then I just like drone on and on and on way too verbose. Uh, so already started with too many words and haven't even talked about my background. But yeah, joined the Marine Corps at a young age in 1999, got out of the Marine Corps. So I obviously know how to like smash myself fitness wise, but then learn that there's this thing called science and physiology. And you can actually use some of that to create positive adaptation, as opposed to the overtraining model that tends to be prevalent in most of the military communities. And then started a gym called Innovative Results, sold that gym, uh, started a company called Battle Ropes Education, taught and got the basically the torch handed off, off to me from John Brookfield and taught Battle Ropes certifications, started through Onnit Academy, uh, traveled around the world with Equinox teaching, basically using the Battle Ropes to teach metabolic pathway conditioning. So really teaching adaptation for our kind of our three main metabolic pathways that we use as humans and then with battle ropes education basically when on it centralized to Austin I didn't want to move to Austin Marcus didn't want to move to Austin so I kind of I was trying to sell Marcus Martinez to Kettlebell Kings and Living.fit and in that process Jay asked me hey what are you been doing and I told him about battle ropes education that we've got this ascendancy model of education he's like yeah we would love to implement that here at Living.fit so They hired me on as the master coach for battle ropes and the education director and then yeah kind of the rest is history we've we've been slowly building that out now we've got contracts with equinox and contracts with 24-hour fitness very very similar to i think the stick mobility path and you know you just you just work hard you kind of stay focused and you you bring your strengths and your skills and your knowledge in front of people and you know, slowly but surely you'll start to gain following. So I've been very fortunate to be able to do both the sort of structure research based aspect of living.fit as well as the dabble and have fun with battle ropes. But then the cool part is I get to hang out with Marcus, I get to, you know, hang out with really awesome people and and you know teach basic physiology, you know, basic uh, metabolic pathway conditioning through whether it's battle ropes or just through our basic education model. And I think that's obviously the biggest thing that's missing in the fitness industry is, you know, there's a lot of marketing and and influencers and huzzah or whatever, but not a whole lot of like understanding of what's really going on and why it's working or how it's working so that we can actually help people improve. So always love with people like you and and then of course with living not fit.
0: When it comes to battle ropes, uh, what are some of the main misconceptions on what they are and how to use them?
1: Yeah, I think probably the main one is I like to say actually I said this today on on Instagram live force is force is force, right? Our body's tissues don't have cognition, so they can't pick and choose what what tool they like or what methodology they like or whatever. That's our brain's choice, right? We psychologically choose the things that we are gravitate towards or attracted towards for good or for bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but force is force is force. Force is the thing that's changing the tissue, that's getting the muscle stronger, that's building you know, stronger bone and you know, all of that, uh, building stronger tendon, creating mobility and things like that. If that is, in fact, the case, as long as I can create force in certain movement patterns for certain tissues then I'm going to get the adaptation that I'm applying the force to create, right? So whether it's power, strength, or endurance. So most people see the rope as an upper body finisher, a finisher, an upper body conditioning tool, but they forget that if you, if you have the power of, of understanding how that tool works, well, now you can use it for lower body, upper body, uh, different m- movement patterns and movement patterns that can't be created with a barbell or or with some of the gravitationally bound tools, because it's it's wavelengths. And so it's still using the similar, you know, pe- power output methodology that is in mechanical physics, right, force times distance over time equals power output, but it's done in a wave-like pattern in different planes of motion and, and different movement patterns that maybe can't be mimicked when we're bound by gravi- gravity in the ground, which obviously all of us are by that. But in in movement, like if I throw a ball, I'm using gravity in the ground to throw that ball. But the forces of the ball are the forces that are actually creating adaptation in the tissues here. Gravity is a, a, a part of it, but mainly it's that ball and my ability to you know, use speed and and use gravity in the ground to go through my torso and then out my arm to create this velocity that creates speed behind that ball or whatever. So the same thing kind of goes with the the battle rope. It gives us a little bit more open playing field as opposed to being stuck in the corner. You know, sticking my butt out, having way too much tension in the rope, and then ah! <laughs> all right, upper body finisher, and I'm done. You know, and like that's all you see, right?
0: I know with the battle ropes, you'll see comments the trainers make on social media posts, but is one of the big things is, is there s- such a thing as bad form with battle ropes?
1: I mean, uh, yeah, I guess there's, there's bad form with walking. It's bad form mm-hmm. with crawling. So for sure, for sure, th- there could be bad form, right. With battle ropes. Like if you're rounding your back and you have way too much tension on the rope and you're backed way too far and it's, you know, creating this rounded shoulder and, and, and then you're lifting your elbows way up and, you know, kind of doing some weird, some weird stuff. But the beauty of the battle rope is it's not so technically sound as like a barbell or a dumbbell, right? You need to learn far more technique, far more foundational positions to be able to even put yourself in a position to do a proper curl or proper press or a proper pull or proper squat. But with the battle rope, As long as as you can, you know, keep your vertical core engaged and as long as you're not like rounding out, then the battle rope sort of teaches you that this is a dumb way to move the rope because your waves are going to suck. You're not going to get very good feedback from that tool. And and so then you're not going to feel very good about the output that you're creating. And so then it's going to force you to take a step forward or two steps forward so that you can have freer movement and then... Oh, now your waves start to look sexy and it's and it's because it's actually helping you fix your form. Um, so yeah I, I have seen people do bad waves and move the rope in bad form, but it's not near as as concise and and technically driven as as something like a barbell or a, a dumbbell would be.
0: It's because you're using that rope for visual feedback. so you're visually seen in front of you that the waves get more precise, more consistent, more controlled, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and I think what most people don't understand is that single wavelength is just, it it would be like a one rep on a bench press, let's say, right? And so you have your isometric components, but more importantly, your concentric and eccentric components. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with that undulation, that one wavelength, it's like the one rep. And so if you can't create the undulation or you're, you're having to sacrifice form to create the undulation, then that's probably not the proper way to use the rope. But if you can step forward and create an undulation vertically or laterally or or diagonally or circularly, and you can feel like you're not hampered by tension that's created between you and the anchor, then that, then that single undulation becomes a one rep standard and now to, to add weight to the barbell or to add weight to the rope, all you have to do is take a step forward and then your body figures out ways to either increase the speed, increase the distance, and then usually increasing the speed increases the force right behind the rope. And then it provides extra mass that you have to move, therefore loading up, if you will, from a power output standpoint, loading up uh, the barbell or, or, adding, or grabbing a bigger dumbbell, which is kind of cool.
2: Well, what I love about them is that they're super safe, man. I mean, it's it's probably really rare to get someone injured on the battle ropes.
1: Yeah, exactly. If you're if you're doing them wrong, then you f- usually feel like you're doing them wrong. Um, but most of the time, if you're doing them wrong, then you're then you can't really create that much power output. So if you can't create that much power output, then it's really <laughs> difficult to get injured, right? Mm-hmm as you can create more power output, obviously you're learning not only the sequencing and timing to create more power output, which is, you know, the antithesis of or the way to mitigate injury is, is understanding the the nervous system and how it interacts right in coordination and agility and uh, preventative measures and whatnot, but also you're able to now create more power output. And so then that's getting you stronger to be able to create more power output. So I, John Brookfield has a saying where, he, he goes, yeah. I've I've seen two people get injured on the rope, and both of them they weren't actually holding the rope to move them. They were not paying attention where they walked, and they rolled their ankle on <laughs> the rope. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true; it's like really hard to hurt yourself. Uh, you got to try, right, to hurt yourself if you're doing the battle ropes.
0: Yeah, because you should see a serious breakdown in, in yeah. technique before that ever happens. Yeah, but still with the power production. If you can't produce the power, then then you don't have to worry about that connective tissue injury. So that's a great yeah, point exactly. on that. So it's yeah, very yeah. self-regulating in yes. a sense. Well
2: and you know, talking about the form, you can see that fluidity in someone's body and it's a the rope is a, essentially an extension of their body.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oftentimes, you know, when, when you're moving the rope and, and you you're doing it for a while and you start to kind of get in that meditative frame of mind and you've been doing battle ropes for a while. Oftentimes it's almost like your arm gets lost in the rope or the rope gets lost in your arm, right? Because you're using not just your arm to generate that power output and those undulations or those waves, but you're using your torso and you're using rotation and you're using the hips and you're using, you know, much more of your body. And so you sort of get them lost together and, oftentimes actually I'll instead of gripping the ends where there's those hard plastic usually you know heat shrunk ends um, I'll grip just a little bit on the rope and I can I can actually feel a lot more of the wave feedback coming into my body as well as generating from my body into the rope and again it's yeah you almost get lost and you kind of get lost in the harmonious aspect of the rhythm of the of the waves which is really cool too
2: so you were talking about you know metabolic conditioning with the ropes are you doing any heart rate training with the ropes? so going long distance and then you know checking out zones and all that
1: Uh, so i dabbled in a little bit of that and and you know of course guys like joel jameson or even uh shoot i'm gonna i'm gonna blank on his name I'll, i'll come up with his name in a second Uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson, right? They're big, like HRV driving their programming, right? Um, Which heart rate variability is a little bit different than like heart rate zones. But yeah, so I I did a bit of that and and did that with some athletes. But what I find personally, I I really like breath rate being the driver. And usually breath rate is synonymous with heart rate, right? If you're (laughs) breathing super heavy, your heart rate's probably pretty jacked. And using that as my regulation tool, just because then I don't need to look at something. And it's really hard to see, unless you get a reader board, right? That's up on your gym or something. It's really hard to see heart rate driving on your wrist when you're doing that, <laughs> especially, <laughs> right? You're like, oh, I can't I, uh, I gotta you know? it. I got to stop. But if you have a reader on the board, then yeah, heart rate is, is a great way to, to drive some of that. Actually, uh, what I use is... A, a very similar, you know, very the very similar set rep scheme and rest schemes as you see with like a CSCS course or whatever. So I'm using it's very similar to like the barbell or the dumbbell uh, work that you'll see, where it's a percentage of your one rep max, and um, you're doing a certain amount of of sets and reps, and it's gonna. It, Obviously with the rope, the reps are going to be a lot higher because it's a continuous motion and it's concentric only. It tends to be concentric only. So the five reps that takes about 10 seconds to 20 seconds to do five reps of of bench press or something like that. So then I do 10 to 20 seconds of work and then make making sure that the rest is you know much longer you know at least uh, 1 to 1 to 2 if not you know 1 to 4 or even 1 to 8 uh, ratio depending on if you're looking at the NASM ratio or the NCA CCS ratio but yeah that usually is is my driver for the for the metabolic adaptations but yeah I've dabbled in the heart rate sorry really long Answer to no, it. So that's, <laughs> that's great. No that's,
0: no, that's the stuff we want to hear. So, when you talking about breath regulation, are you folk? Is that something you focus on with the clients as far as controlling their respiration rate? Then.
1: Yeah, correct. So if I'm doing, if we're doing aerobic training and, and let's say I'm just trying to do kind of the long, slow run, you should be able to do nasal breathing or you should be able to, you know, hold a conversation, an intermittent conversation with me and not feel gassed or like lightheaded or anything while you're doing the, the rope work. But if I'm training, you know, the, the max power output, it's going to take your breath away. You're going to be using Valsalva maneuver, you know, all of the normal things that you're going to experience and see in like one rep maxes or three rep maxes, right. With, uh, with lifters. So, and I'm just looking at that and, and that's my indicator, you know, when I'm looking at clients in the same way that usually form and technique as well as those, uh, those things are your indicators when, you know, people are underneath the bar or something like that.
0: And I know you just talked about work to rest ratio, uh, is that something that you typically see in a lot of programmings that's kind of misunderstood is how much rest actually should be, is required versus how much work?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, most people have this idea that everything is hit right? Everything's a circuit. Uh, I'm trying to breathe heavy and sweat heavy, but you and I know that if you're training max power output, that is not the case at all, right? You're taking way more rest than probably you think you need, but then as you get better at it and you can really produce that power, then you crave and and need that rest, right? Because it is actually, you're able to recruit as much muscle as humanly possible for, for you at that time right? And so then you need that longer period of rest in order to be able to reset, to be able to, to hit that, you know, set again. So yeah, it getting, helping people, like giving people what they need, but, but also giving people what they want is a, is a constant struggle, I think with all trainers and coaches. And so even what I've found, even, you know, traveling the world and teaching people, I'm sure you found this too, is there's a lot of misconceptions, even in the, the trainer, the trainer realm, right? Where, they think you know, oh, uh, hits going to save the day. So all I'm going to do is high intensity interval training. That's it. Or long slow running is 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 it? That's it. You know, or or I'm just going to you know lift like a meathead. That's it. And and I'll always argue that you're going to need a little bit of each metabolic pathway. And so it would behoove every person to learn kind of what that feels like, what that looks like, um, how that's experienced. Because yeah, uh, max power output day. If somebody does it half-assed, they're not going to get anything from it, right? They're not going to mm-hmm. produce enough power output to create an adaptation, and they're going to feel like they're just sitting around all day watching paint dry, you know. Um, and we know we know that that's okay. That's not helpful. So now they're not engaged, right? They're not fully present. They're not getting any results out of it. So helping them learn. Okay, yeah, I can get you to recruit more musculature recruit and create more power output. This is actually going to make you a better athlete or human or, you know, in whatever realm of your life, you know, even the stay-at-home dad, stay-at-home mom, right? Needs that max power output because what if your kid runs into the street or what if you trip off of uh, the curb, you need to be able to catch yourself and that's Mm -hmm. explosive power, right? So, or you need to be able to grab your kid and that's explosive power. So, Yeah. I always, I always justify it there and then take people into that realm. Okay. Let's feel what that feels like. You know, how do you
0: program the ropes into a normal session for your average
1: client? You just, uh, you just throw it at the end and call it a (laughs) finisher and call it a day. (laughs) No, usually I will start with more aerobic work on it, more conditioning, because honestly, most people, they get on the ropes, they over grip it, they go too hard they exhaust themselves and so teaching them in the aerobic realm to relax go through the the movement properly focus on quality of movement and watch how that uh, reflects and reciprocates down the line of the rope and watch your waves you know go from only you know 6 feet in front of you to 20 feet in front of you to all the way to the anchor now and and feel good about those early winds. cuz that usually that those adaptations happen quick cuz a lot of it is really central nervous system, peripheral nervous system, just figuring out this new thing that is ropes. And then with those early wins and that little bit of conditioning, okay, now let's, let's dabble into the realm of, of strength and hypertrophy with these things. And then from there, once we've built up good strength and hypertrophy and good quality movements that are explosive, now we're gonna make it even more explosive and travel into that power or that phosphagen energy system. And that's usually how I'll travel through So if somebody loves barbell, we're going to have the lion's share of the, of the program be barbell, but we're going to sprinkle in a little bit of ropes at the end, right. For the conditioning. And then once they get comfortable with that, we might interchange a couple of the barbell movements with a, with a rope movement. So if they're maybe it's a chest day and, you know, instead of doing pec deck flies, we're going to have them do in and out waves. And they're going to see that their pecs get even more blasted from the in and out waves and the pec deck flies and so now they they're they're creating a little bit of a love affair right with this with this rope from their tool that they covet so so closely that was the barbell and then from there okay let's let's learn a little bit of explosive power with this with this rope and really see what you can do in terms of you know maximizing your power output and now they've been able to see sort of the breadth and width and depth of the rope and so now I get to just plug and play that rope in where, you know, maybe they, I, I don't want them to get an overuse injury because maybe they love squats so much. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw rope in there as an alternative on one of the days to kind of give them a little bit of, of rest from their normal back squat routine, but still get their, you know, get their quads on fire, get their, get their back engaged, get their vertical core engaged, get their glutes engaged um, a bit. So they're still, getting after it and building strong tissues, strong muscle groups, strong chains of movement. So then they can come back to that back squat and not have that overuse injury, but also, you know, not feel like they're declining or stagnating.
2: So when you, you know, when you talk about the, uh, that aerobic phase before you get into the strength and hypertrophy work, do you have a gauge of, okay, once they can do this for two minutes at this pace, now we can move on?
1: Yeah, exactly. For me, it's really as long as they can do one minute of quality movement with the waves going all the way down the rope where they're not, where the rope isn't super tight, but they've actually taken a step or two forward where that makes it really difficult, right? To move those. And they can do it in a tall, like thriving position, not the bent over, right? Butt out, um, half squatted position, which is what we'll tend to see. And, and and we can create a lot of force that way, but being able to stand tall, now I know I'm I'm engaging their anterior core just as much as their posterior core. And so they've got full body engaged into that alternating wave and vertical wave and in and out wave and lateral wave and if they can hold those for you know a minute send in those waves all the way down then for sure they're ready to go into strength now that doesn't mean that we don't grow you know progressive overload into that aerobic capacity in you know all of those movement patterns uh, with the with the aerobic side like we can still continue to grow that and they can see more wins in their aerobic work and aerobic conditioning but their body is for sure ready you know because they've been able to relax enough and understand the movement enough to create a quality movement for 1 minute long and again 1 minute is is just kind of an arbitrary number it's i don't have like an exact this is way it is a lot of it's driven off of what you know what are they trying to do in terms of results and then where are they at right now presently in terms of whether you know different power outputs for their different metabolic pathways and and also again, what they're driving towards. So taking all those into consideration, one minute is kind of an arbitrary, yeah, you're at least ready to to do this in a strength capacity, which is more intense, uh, more explosive, more power output, probably taking more steps forward, and you're going to do it for shorter periods of time, but it's going to be pretty exhausting.
0: Do you find there's an, an intimidation factor in like a new client when it comes to using the ropes?
1: So I, I've experienced both. And I think the intimidation factor tends to come with, they need to look like the person that they saw on Instagram or YouTube doing the yes. rope. Right. And, and so then when their wave only goes halfway down the rope, they're instantly discouraged. Mm-hmm. So then usually what I can do is in real time in that session, be able to teach them a couple of tips and tricks to get their wavelength from halfway to three quarters of the way and say, look, you've in in 1 minute or in 5 minutes you've been able to increase your power output 25% or 50% that's huge that yeah. is a huge improvement and so then be their biggest cheerleader at that point right and have them see that win and so then they see it as an early success and early win and then that intimidation tends to go by the wayside. But yeah, comparison is is the greatest evil for sure, right? With most clients in terms of uh, intimidation factor and, and, and even trainers, right? With intimidation factor. And it's really, they don't know what they don't know. They think they have to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And then when they can't, they're frustrated or they see these ropes and they're like, man, those look heavy. Those look big. Those should collect dust in the corner. I should not move those.
2: <laughs> We're tying up ships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. yeah. <laughs> I'm not a
1: sailor. I'm not a cop
2: <laughs> So then as far as uh, sizing goes, you know, because I know you can get them in different sizes, different gauges. Do you typically have someone start, you know, with a 30-footer, 40-footer, 50-footer?
1: Yeah. So I always start, and this is, this is kind of, I got this from John Brookfield and and have never stopped. And, and the reason being is with the 30 foot, it's great for early wins, but we tend to adapt so fast that we outgrow that 30 foot so quick because when it's doubled, it's only 15 feet. Right. And so we're having to step way far forward and, and still not getting the training effect that we want from it, the adaptation that we want from it. So I always start people on a 50 footer because when it's doubled, it's it's only 25 feet and it always an inch and a half in, in thickness. And the reason being is now, now they can actually see their progressive overload. They grab the end of the rope, they pull it to its most taut. Then they take one step in. All right. Now it has a little bit of slack in it so they can actually move it in, in all directions with their body. And, uh, and so alternating wave or vertical wave or lateral wave. It might only go halfway down, but like I said, in that session, I can get it to go from halfway to three quarters or from a third of the way to two thirds. And, you know, from a third to two thirds, you've doubled your strength, right? You've doubled your power output in that session. And so then it creates early wins and then it gives a lot of room for improvement for progressive overload, which, you know, obviously for anybody that bought one kettlebell and then realized, oh shoot, I need like 30 (laughs) others to really get (laughs) good progressive overload here, right? It's the same thing with the rope. You know, buying a 30 footer is like buying an eight kilogram kettlebell, and then you outgrow it so quick, you know? So I always recommend 50 footer, inch and a half to start. And even the bodybuilders and the power lifters, I've always been able to humble a bodybuilder or power lifter that's like super yoked, super jacked, really strong. I've always been able to take that inch and a half, 50 footer, cradle, you know, give them a little bit of humble pie and then say, look, this is how we're going to progressive overload this. And then when we get to this point, now we can graduate to that two-incher, right? So kind of everybody starts on that same rope. I think
0: one of the best things about a rope is the versatility as far as demographic use too, right? I mean, yeah. it's, you can have pretty much a huge age span that's going to benefit greatly from their use of the rope?
1: Yeah. I mean, if my two-year-old gets excited when my wife is, you know, moving the ropes and jumps on in the end of one rope and is able to create some waves that go four or five feet down, my two-year-old can do that, right? Then for sure, a youth can do that. For sure, a teenager can do that. For sure, you know, a young adult, an adult, you know, a middle-aged person, you know, and then up into even, you know, the elder elderly slash geriatric populace, right. It's, it's great for them too, because it's the same thing, right. They're they're learning their body and, and they're able to kind of have fun getting mesmerized with this meditative tool, right. Creating undulations and it doesn't have to go all the way to the end and they can watch and see progressive overload very quickly. Cause again, it's, it's nervous adaptations that are tending to happen in the, in the front end of it. And then o- over time, they're able to see actual tissue adaptation. And that's no matter the age group, no matter the clientele, right? Yeah, it spans the spectrum for sure.
0: Is this something that definitely even people that ha- like the wheelchair community should be, really be seeing the value of?
1: Yeah. So I had uh, Jackie Gonzalez, was, she was my assistant educator uh, when I was teaching with the Onnit Academy. Yeah, she's huge in the adaptive community. And her husband is actually in a wheelchair. I think he he's paralyzed, like T, one of his T vertebrae on down, which is, that's a pretty significant paralysis, right? Down or, or torso down. And he swears by it. And then of course, his, his wife and my my assistant at the time swears by it as well. I mean, they, and they're, and they're big CrossFitters, even in the CrossFit community, right? For the adaptive community, there's a lot of things that you can't do that are, prescribed, if you will, or whatever, which they're able to immediately incorporate the ropes and get a uh, similar training effects just from, from the rope. She also found because of its whole brain connecting power, just like a contralateral movement, like walking or crawling, she found like with autistic clients and other, you know, you know, brain injury clients and things like that, that it's been really useful for her training and, and coaching. <clears throat> and so She's got, you know, Down syndrome, autism, Asperger's, you know, the whole, the whole spectrum there, but then also the adaptive community in different paralysis and different missing limbs and things like that, where, you know, the rope can always, you can always figure out a way to create a movement pattern and then undulate that movement pattern to get repetition or time under, under tension And then that's obviously going to create a train, the training effect and the adaptation. So yeah, her go-to has always been the battle rope for sure.
0: Your courses, is that a one day or a a two day course?
1: So I I have both, just like you guys have the level one and level two, you know, Marcus will say the same. He's got sort of there our level one and level two, we call it, you know, our, our fundamentals course and then our advanced course. And the fundamentals is like learning the basics of the, of wave physics and, and Understanding how it parallels mechanical physics, and most of us understand mechanical physics, even if we can't do the equations, because we've been training long enough. We, you know, we know how progressive overload works, and we understand those concepts and things, specific adaptation to impose demands, you know, all of that. But then, but then, diving into the basics of the metabolic pathways and how, you know, specifically we can train those with the rope, and how we can train upper body and lower body, and how we can do isometrics with it and get feedback in isometrics because it's a static rope so it doesn't move dynamically like a band would or something. So you get equal and opposite right response. And those are in the fundamentals. And then the advanced is where we're deep diving the programming, deep diving the, the metabolic pathway, understanding and training and, and programming, deep diving coaching, deep diving cueing, and then even getting into the psychology of the rope and that kind of whole brain connection to really be able to use it at its, you know, full full capacity, full ability.
0: Now, I don't know if you. I've gotten this question a few times. What is the difference between using tubing like the inertia, inertia wave versus the battle rope?
1: Yeah. So actually, huh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little do a little drawing here. Okay. So this is your inertia wave, oh. right? Mm-hmm. So mover anchor, right? And so it's a half of an undulation or half of a wavelength, whereas the battle rope is gonna and to create a full wavelength and then a bunch of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> with the inertia wave, it's using the, it's, it's almost like it's stretch reflex, right? It's using it's, it's using its own resistance and tension to build momentum. So it is creating force, right? It's creating force load on the, on the body and on the tissue and on the structure, but it's, it's doing so in a very dynamic, you know, rubber band. It's a, it's a band, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's using this, this dynamic reactive force to create power output. So uh, with that, I have yet to be able to and I I've, I've been diving into the physics of that to try to understand it at a at a greater level. I have yet to be able to find a formula that that will parallel what we understand in in mechanical physics whereas with the wave we can actually understand wave physics with, you know, in parallel with mechanical physics, which means now I can quantify it, which means now I can actually create programming that's quantified right so there's you know a couple of issues that i have found in in the differences right between battle rope and the band stuff right like a inertia wave or whatever is is its dynamic flexibility and reactive force so it's using its own momentum to help you move as well as you helping it move and then it's it's a half of a wave and it's really difficult to quantify and i'm not saying it's unquantifiable i'm sure it is It's just much more difficult to quantify because then you're going to have to get exact measurements of how high and how low it's going and then what the reactive forces to that particular strength of of a band or resistance band is generating to be able to know then what it's doing with that tissue. And then if you're only moving a couple of inches to create that movement, it's probably creating an isometric engagement with your vertical core, but then is it actually creating a a triple extension uh, type reaction like the vertical waves of a battle rope could or would, right. If you're trying to generate that undulation with that weighted rope on a, on an actual wave. And uh, so I just recently did a video kind of breaking down the differences between bands and a static rope and the waves that are inside of each of those from a physics standpoint. And so they are very different. So if anybody is trying to say that a battle rope is like an inertia wave or an inertia wave is like a battle rope, that's just ridiculous. There, it would be like saying a barbell is like body weight. you know it's just so it's so different. Yes, you can do similar things, but it's it's two totally different tools. One is with no tool, One is with a tool or a dumbbell is a kettlebell. There are a lot of similarities, but there also are huge differences. And I would say there's even greater differences with resistance band, like tension type things that are using its own momentum. And then a static rope, um, like a battle rope. That's even more different than like a kettlebell or a dumbbell.
2: Have you ever played around with changing the anchor points, height of anchor points with with battle ropes? And does that have any value?
1: Let's say you put the, the anchor point higher. Mm -hmm. right? Which normally gravity is just going to be at play. And so without, you know, figuring out some way to fasten it or whatever, it's going to end up falling down. So basically it's just going to take away some of the gravity bound tension in the undulation because it's now, you know, it it was gravity in the ground. It was bound by gravity. Now it's kind of going towards and into gravity as it's going up on the anchor point. And and so then it's going to lose some of that sort of uh, undulation physics or effect, Right. As it goes up. But what I have, I've seen with MMA athletes, some professional MMA athletes, and we had an Olympic wrestler that was training us at one point is they can actually get the power output so high that it will actually, that the anchor point will actually start moving up the, the pole. If it's just a post, right. It'll start moving up the pole and it, and the anchor point will actually mimic where the, the power output is coming from. So uh. it will start to level out there. Just because there's so much power and so much yeah. tension that's reciprocated between the mover and the anchor. Um, so it sort of mimics and matches where that power output is coming from, which I think is pretty dang cool. But I think the the coolest anchor adjustment that we've made and, and we use often is an anchor list. So we remove the anchor completely, and so now it becomes like a like an open reactive type agility course where your movements and your undulations down that wave, down that rope, start to move the rope. And then the rope with that tension starts to move towards you. So then you have to react and respond to what the rope is is saying to you after you've said something to the rope, right? And so now you're reacting real time like you would in MMA or in football or in any sort of sports where you don't get a dictate, you know, how, uh, how the thing is being done. Uh, that's
2: pretty cool. You know, like
1: obviously a swimmer, you don't need that. Right. Cause they're not fighting each other, but water polo, there's another opponent <laughs> you're going to need to be able to figure out how to move, right? move in that pool away from that opponent or get around that opponent. And same thing with the rope. So it's a really cool dynamic way to, you know, and then I just do work rest to train power in that capacity or, or strengthen that capacity or uh, aerobic capacity and, and conditioning with that anchorless rope so those are the kind of the, the the cool ways of doing it I've seen people do like where it's hung from you know up high and you're doing vertical up you know up to a point and anchored down below and then you're hanging off something and doing it down and i I just think that's it's a whole lot of work for not a whole lot of result right wow. I'm sure there is some training effect or result but you know it, it's always like is the work worth the reward yep. And sometimes it's more work for the little reward that you get and, and that's the way I would probably see changing the anchor you know in terms of height or or direction or whatever now if you're talking isometrics changing the anchor point is everything because i can i can mimic you know creating posterior chain engagement you know with my overhead extension by anchoring the rope off high in line with where my hand is And so maybe I don't have that in the same way that, you know, you guys will use the stick, right. And you'll lay down on the ground and and hold it up here and pull it up. Right. It it creates a training effect where now you're able to help give somebody or allow somebody to earn that overhead extension, right. Mm -hmm. So that they can have a barbell loaded overhead or a kettlebell loaded overhead. um, because maybe they didn't have that prerequisite before. So we will change the anchor points, you know, and, and change the, You know, the direction of force as well, whether it's, you know, diagonally or diagonally down, diagonally up, working in that transverse plane, um, even if it's an isometric and holding. You know, in that in that transverse plane, and that becomes you know very similar to like the stick and the stick mobility work that you guys do. It would just be opposite, right? Because the stick can't move it down, whereas mm-hmm. the rope you're trying to pull it, yeah. pull it taut, you know, in a different direction. Now,
0: once you've established and, and somebody's really efficient at using the ropes, in the middle of the set, do you utilize uh, body changes position as far as body position wise in the middle of the set?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, let's say uh, probably the greatest example is, is actually changing which way you grip, right. Mm. The rope. Um, So if I have, if I have like a fighter who's, who's normally in this like neutral type position and they're brand new to fighting, I'll probably have them so they can get a training effect with the rope. I'll probably have them get into that neutral type fighting stance when they're doing their wave movements. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they can train that position. But if I've got a seasoned fighter who that's, they do that all the time, they've been doing it for 20 years. I don't want to create overuse injuries in that position. So then I'll actually have them grip opposite. And, and so it kind of gives them a little bit of reprieve from that while they're creating, you know, force and undulations and, and power output down the battle rope. So, and, and that's just changing the grip, but then we can, you know, start actually changing the angle at which we're creating our waves, right? And that's going to completely change just in the same way that if you change the angle and and it's kind of hard to do with like barbells, but easier to do with dumbbells and and kettlebells and things like that, it really changes the exercise, right? You know, just like a staggered squat is totally different than a perfectly bilateral symmetrical squat, right? You're going to just feel it completely different. Or if you do a single-sided kettlebell front squat, it's going to feel totally different than a goblet squat. Right. And and totally different than, you know, a basic barbell front squat. So yeah, just changing up angles and things like that. And obviously there should be some reason behind it. Like if there is no, why, like, then why, then I ask, why are you doing it? (laughs) Like, there's no reason, like, why are we doing this? But if it, if there is a reason, like, you know, fighters and things like that, they're going to be getting into Totally different angles. They're going to be moving their, you know, like a football player is going to be running and then looking and then catching and then, you know, stiff-arming and doing all sorts of other things with their upper body. So we're going to make them, you know, do stuff with their lower body while they're doing other things with their upper body, whether it's moving while they're creating waves and, and things like that, or just changing angles. And then also changing whether they're sitting, half kneeling, full kneeling, tall kneeling, you know, all of these things. And again, it's going to just change the way. That your body produces that power output, as well as your body feels that reciprocation of force that you're putting through the rope.
2: So, Aaron, I know you're uh, you know you're a big kettlebell guy. You've earned your Master of Sports in, in kettlebell sport, right? Which is a pretty yes, amazing uh, yeah, accomplishment. Oh you know, yeah, brutal. have you have you? Uh, <laughs> so, since you've you know been training with the battle ropes, have you seen a big carryover into kettlebell sport training?
1: Yeah. And I kind of hung up the kettlebell sport training, but when I was training, it was a huge carryover. Obviously the the dynamic ability to change your grip with the ropes really helped train my grip without, without creating the overuse injuries that come from, you know, you having to do the same grip over and over and over again with the kettlebells and um, you're doing a million swings, a million cleans, a million snatches. Right. And a million is, is, I think that's a true number. I mean, I, I, competed for almost a, a decade or about a decade. And I easily did multi-million, uh, you know, swings and cleans and yeah. snatches and things, right. Because that's the game. Like that's what you're trying to do. So figuring out tools to add, you know, strength or add endurance or add some, some of the missing components or some of the gaps that, that you experience in, in kettlebell sport when you're competing without, you know, the potential of overuse injury Uh, The ropes were just such a great way to allow for that. Like for instance, you know, if you're doing long cycle, the legs carry you in that, right? It's really about the legs and the aerobic capacity to be able to go that full 10 minutes, especially with two thirty twos, just ridiculous amount of, of weight and reps happening for 10 minutes. And so what I found was training aerobic capacity and training strength with the rope allowed a reprieve from that very specific and continuous movement pattern. That is that, you know, hip hinge, small little quarter squat, small little quarter squat, hip hinge, small little quarter squat, small little quarter squat over and over and over again. I was able to train in the transverse plane, get out of the sagittal plane for a while in the frontal plane, get out of the sagittal plane for a while, but still build strength, still build endurance. Right. And so, yeah, the rope the rope was a, a an incredible tool that I was able to add to the arsenal.
0: How many times a week would you recommend somebody use the ropes?
1: So if, if you understand, you know, programming, and then you understand that you shouldn't be training max power output, you know, probably more than two times, three times, if you're crazy or plyometrics, you know, you should have at least a 48 hour reprieve before you, you hit it again in the same movement, whatever it's going to follow the, a similar guideline. The beauty of the rope is I can train different movement patterns and I can train different metabolic pathways on different days. So technically, I mean, I could train it just forever. My seventh day is my maybe active recovery day where it's just like super light and just going through movement patterns and feeling a whole lot better when I'm done, getting some of that lymphatic flow, giving, getting a little bit of vasodilation, getting a little bit of breath rate up, a heart rate up, but not like creating any sort of stress on my body. And then, you know, two days you know, of maybe power, two or three days of strength, two or three days of, of aerobic work. I mean, shoot, that's easy seven days, right? You can fit that in depending on how you, you set up the programming. But if you're doing the same movement in the same way, yeah, I wouldn't do it any more than two or three times per week. And especially if you're just getting started, always, you know, start easier, start slower, start lighter. It's funny, we all say that, but then we when we actually start we're like, Oh, I feel great. And then you just overdo it, you know, like, Oh shoot. Now I can't sit on the toilet.
0: <laughs> but there's also that underlying thing. Like we talked a little bit earlier referenced a little bit earlier about that. I think a lot of the coaching community is still caught up in the kill, 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 thrash, thrash, thrash mindset, that they're not yeah. taking that into consideration as far as on the recovery side.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it can be a great recovery tool. Um, you know, and I, I incorporate all sorts of different sort of type fascial stretching type movements or positions and then static and and dynamic stretching and all of that because yeah. If you're, if you're not doing that and you're only just, you know, going hard and going heavy, the machine's going to break down and I'm not getting any younger and it's breaking down easier and it's taking <laughs> less and I'm I'm needing more of that recovery stuff. So yeah, it's, it is, it is crucially important. And the thing is, you know, you're 20 stupid years old. So you, you're training like a 20 stupid year old, like I did, but the problem is now your longevity in your sport, your longevity in in, in your life and your ability to be active gets severely diminished. And And then you have to end up doing more work, taking more time off to do that work, to come back to kind of your, your norm ability and body and and output. I have a good friend of mine who, you know, he says, train like you're 40 when you're 20 so that when you're 40, you can train like you're 20, you know, and it's so, Uh, so good. I
0: like like that. That's true. Too bad I didn't know that when I was twenty.
1: Yeah, 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 that's 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 the
0: shitty part. You got to wait. You you learn that too late sometimes, and that's the unfortunate part. And
2: people will tell you that when you're twenty, and you're
1: like, whatever, man. I got this. No, you don't know. I'm
2: indestructible.
0: Yeah, because you (laughs) you're twenty. You're like, yeah, I I don't need warm up. I don't need tissue prep. I don't. I just. uh."
1: I'm warmed up. Ah, that's
0: it. Right? Like your warm up is okay. How many? I'm gonna. Oh, let's take your typical bench day, right? What's your warm up? Oh, I just i i slap 135 on the bar and then I just do 20 reps. That's my warm up, <laughs> and then I go yeah, heavy. Yeah. You know. So that's the, yeah. that, unfortunately that's the mentality there. You had mentioned in when you were introducing yourself to the listeners that you owned you owned Innovative Results, which when Neil and I went down there the very first time. We absolutely fell in love with your gym. Your gym was the shit, bro. It was awesome. (laughs) We absolutely loved it. But you had done a lot of stuff in there on your own as far as equipment wise, especially like with your jungle gym setup type of thing. So that was, we thought that was fantastic to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, Corey, my my business partner at the time, he he had a lot to do with this as well, but it was, how can we bring recess back to adults? Right. How do we, how can we have an indoor playground so we can have somewhat of climate control and not that you really need that much in Southern California, but you know, every once in a while it rains, every once in a while it gets too hot, every once in a while it gets too cold. And so it's like, okay, how can you bring a playground indoors? But then, you know, obviously we also still use the traditional tools and things like that. But yeah, in order to bring the playground indoors, you got to, you got to set up playground type things. So like a jungle gym, like you said, right. Monkey bars and climbing walls and, you know, all sorts of things where the body can start to explore movement and explore and play in that play, not realize that they're building aerobic capacity, they're building central nervous system, peripheral nervous system, understanding and coordination and command. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was a brainchild behind, behind what, what is innovative results. And, and I think what still is innovative results.
0: Yeah. Well, I just, even the parallettes that you had set up with just your piping that you would buy at home Depot, I was like, when I saw that, I was like, so simple, ext- cost-effective and multi I mean, you got your anchor points for your battle ropes right there. And then yep. you got your body weight parallel work. I, I was like, talk about just versatility and efficiency. That yeah. was fantastic.
1: And it lasts forever. I mean, like it is indestructible, you yep. know, and, and you buy something like that from a particular manufacturer, right? We don't have to name any names at all, but, yeah. um, but you buy it from that it's going to cost an arm and a leg more, but Obviously, you need to know how you're setting it up because there is liability and you know all those things or whatever. But as long as it's anchored in solid, yeah, those are some of the more fun tools and tools that I would just I would use every like every day. You know, like when I go there to train or go there to teach or whatever, you just like dork around on them and just have fun. You know, for a little bit and just play like you're like you're a kid again. You know, it's great.
2: Yeah, I remember when I went down there to to teach that little workshop. Yeah. I think you guys started building that climbing wall, or you had just built that climbing wall there, which was pretty yeah. cool.
1: Yeah, we we got a couple. There was a couple people that were avid climbers that did that built a couple of routes on it. It was pretty cool, and then some people that were just interested in hanging out and climbing on the wall that built a couple routes on it, which is which is pretty sweet. And then a few coaches and and clients inspired some routes on it as well. To, you know, kind of easier ones and then moderate ones, and then really, really difficult ones where you're having to do all sorts of crazy contralateral bottle, body shifting and stuff to be able to traverse up or traverse across or whatever. Pretty, pretty cool. Pretty awesome. Yeah.
0: And the other thing that we really appreciated was your gym. You were not just about the training, but the education because you were constantly bringing in courses and, and educators to help improve the local coaches in your area.
1: Yeah. Again, I got to, you know, I got to take my hat off to Corey, you know, the, my former partner there, he and I both just always lifelong learners, right? Can't not learn, can't continue learning. And so we tried to breathe that spirit into into that community, into that place. As much as possible, and, and you know, I carry I carried that into on it, and I you know I carried that, and I had that before in the Marine Corps. It was like constantly trying to figure out the next thing, get the next skill, get the next understanding, and really just so I could be the you know the best Marine or the best leader or the best gunner or the best you know whatever position I was in. I just always trying, striving to be the best. And you can't be the best if you go in with a black belt mentality where you know everything. And I mean, obviously, black belts. Don't probably have that mentality. They they probably present themselves as always white belts. That's how they got their black belt. I'm sure, there's a few that slipped through the cracks, but but yeah, I mean, like if you're just going around always a white belt, there's always something else to learn, and you know that's why we brought you guys in. We were constantly scouring the landscape for things that were a little bit different, but experts in that people that you know were in continuous mastery, trying to understand whether it was a tool or a technique or a methodology or a principle or principles. And it's like, Hey, we would love for you to come here and teach us the stuff that you know, so that we can be better at our craft for our clients, for our team, for our people.
0: So are there any plans that you have coming up for the rest of this year? Any future endeavors or
1: Uh, so living fit is going to be launching an app soon. And we're basically, you know, the clunkiness of the, of the site that we have, we're trying to make it a little bit more intuitive, make it a little bit better. But for me now, like my main focus is how can I help the end user, the person that's like sitting on the couch, unmotivated, how can I get that person motivated to want to, to learn and discover and to sort of choose into their own fitness and, and choose into their own adventure that is fitness and then slowly be educated all the way up to, if they want to, that top-tier trainer. And so obviously, a lot of people that are end-user clients or, or just getting started in this thing called fitness or whatever, You know, maybe they don't ascend and they don't want to ascend to that really high level and be able to teach other people and, and things like that. But they want to understand a little bit more of why they're doing what they're doing so they can do it a little bit better, so they can, they can articulate that how a little bit better. And so, really, for me, you know, with Living Fit and and being the education director, director, it's really about how do we make that ascendancy intuitive and fun and engaging and really like choosing your own adventure. So even if you're, you know, a trainer or coach, it's like how do we how do we direct them? Like here, you're going to learn, you know, kettlebells from us. You're going to learn battle ropes from us. But here, go here and learn functional range conditioning from Dr. Andrea Espina or or learn how you can utilize thick mobility to enhance your your mobility for you and, and your clientele or, you know, and, and the list goes on, right? Because there's mm-hmm. so many incredible experts out there to have this mentality that in order for me to win, you have to lose, I think is it should be a thing of the past. Unfortunately, it still prevails a lot in the fitness industry. But for me, it's like, oh, how do we create a win, win, win? I mean, we're, humans are way too smart to not create a win-win-win it's just oftentimes we sell ourselves short and i don't know if it's the infusion of of sports that drills that into us or if it's the the old corporate like business mentality or if it's greed or if it's ego or maybe it's a little mix of everything or whatever uh, but for me it's like man we're way we're way too good way too smart to not think about win-win-win so it's about setting up a model that's engaging and fun. It's about setting up win-win wins across the board, no matter who we're engaging with. And then, obviously, the launch is is going to be a pretty, a pretty rad-tastic thing. I, I think it'll be it'll make our stuff a little bit more easily accessible and much more intuitive to to travel through. Because obviously, it's it's not really fun and engaging, and it's not an adventure when you're like, "How do I get to this program?" <laughs> you can't figure out how to navigate a site or whatever. Right. So really figuring that piece out too.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Uh, any of the social media way people can find you?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, find me personally, and I don't know if you might, you might not like me personally, well- <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but uh, you can find me personally and Aaron Guyette <laughs> on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, but battle rope exercises is, um, the Instagram where we're going to, we showcase, you know, movement breakdowns and all sorts of stuff with the rope. Specifically, and then obviously Kbk Fit on Facebook and on, on Instagram for everything that we're doing with Living.fit. And then obviously our kind of our parent company is Kettlebell Kings, so you can always go to Kettlebell Kings as well and check that stuff out.
0: Fantastic, Aaron. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, man. It was great of great information. Definitely. The listeners got uh, some benefit out of understanding what battle ropes are and how to get some optimal use out of them. So thank you very much, brother. We appreciate it, man. And, uh, thank you. We look forward to having you on uh, sometime down the road again, brother. Definitely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Totally honored to be on the show, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: You're welcome. And, uh, to all the listeners out there until next episode, be good to each other.